through uh, an overview of the Bible. And so the look may change from week to week. We have tables this week. We have some Dave on guitar leading us in songs. Uh, that might expand or contract a little bit in the future, whatever we do. But we are going to be going through um, an overview, God's big picture, an overview of the Bible. Now, it's going to feel a little different. It's not going to be like a classic preach here in just a, a few minutes. Um, but we are going to sing together. And we do, well, this is going to be a slightly different focus and a little more... Uh, focused in delivery of some content, you might say. Um, we don't want it to be dry either, because the whole point of this is that we would get to know the God of the Bible, and that we would love him more and worship him more uh, significantly and deeply and serve him and his kingdom purposes. And so we do want to worship tonight, and so Dave's going to lead us uh, in our first two songs, correct? Um, I'm just going to open our time with prayer, and then why don't we stand and sing together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you that we can gather again now that we're back in this autumn term on Sunday evenings, and uh, we do pray your blessing upon this time. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks and has given us your word. We pray tonight that you would give us uh, a greater understanding, greater insight, greater appreciation, uh, not just for what you've given us, but for who you are and all that you've done for us. So please just lead us in our time. And bless us now, Lord, as we lift our voices to you in worship and praise for your worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. All creatures of our God and King up your voice and with us sing oh praise him hallelujah thou burning song with golden beam thou silver moon with softer gleam oh praise him oh to bless and worship 
worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Praise, praise the Father. Praise the Son. And praise the Spirit free in one. the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, free in one, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, hallelujah, hallelujah, Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, blessed be your name. When the sun's shining down on me When the world's all as it should be Blessed be your name Blessed be your name On the road marked with suffering Though there's pain in the offering Blessed be your name Every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise When the darkness closes in Lord Still I will say 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Wonderful. Please have a seat. Um, so tonight, we're going to try to sort out a way to do this in an organized way. I had a little activity for you all to, um, to do tonight, but we have a far greater turnout and far more tables than I anticipated. So we're going to have to ask some of you to coalesce like maybe around a table. So I have something I'd like for you to do. And in each of these boxes, I'm going to be careful how I pull them out, I have some puzzles. What I'd like for you to do for the next few minutes at your tables is to try to put together these puzzles. Now, I, I want to assure you the puzzle pieces actually go together. I was thinking I could have a lot of fun and put some pieces together that don't go together. So but what I'd like for you to do, though, is take a few minutes, just a couple of tables, maybe gather around a table, do the best you can. I think Josh and Ben are going to help me with this. But hold on to your bag because there's a number on it. We're going to need that number for later. So if you guys want to come forward and help me distribute these, that would be great. There are three right there. And if you want to kind of amongst yourselves figure out how you're going to organize yourselves, that would be great. All right. There's another three. Another three.
please. Or if you just didn't do it at all and you're just sitting there talking and put your hand up, that'd be great too. So we know. Anyone still working? Yes? Okay. We'll give you a little bit more time. Did it help at all when you got the picture? Yes? That helps, doesn't it? Right? I can see some of you work. What's, what's, the, what's the tactic that some of you guys take? You, if you're like me, when I get a puzzle, the first thing I do is I separate out all the edge pieces. Does anybody else do that? Yes. And then you create a frame. Notice, too, that table in the back was first, Nigel, right? As you guys did that technique. But yes, you do the edge, and then you try to fill in. But it's really hard to fill in the picture if you don't know what the picture is, isn't it? And the whole idea we're getting at with this is that, you know, there's this dynamic with a puzzle. There's, there's the frame, right? There's the shapes of the pieces that interlock and fit together. So there's this kind of like structural element to it. And then there's this picture that emerges when all those things fit together. And that's the kind of thinking that's going to be helpful for us as we approach this overview of the Bible called God's Big Picture. So... What we're doing tonight and over the course of 10 weeks is really going to be familiarizing ourselves with the pieces of the Bible. Some of this may seem, um, for some of us, a lot of review or being reminded of things, very basic things. For some of us, this is, oh, this is what I've been waiting for, to understand how all these pieces start to fit together. If it's repetition, there's the old saying, repetition is the mother of learning. It's good to be reminded of things. And so hopefully all of us will walk away uh, being benefited from this tonight. So we're going to start taking a look at the the pieces, the shape, the structure. And then we're going to consider the big story that comes together uh, because of that. So what I'm going to invite you to do is take a Bible. Hopefully uh, you can get a church Bible if you need one, if you have one with you, or if you have an app. Um, and what we're going to do is turn to the table of contents. I've been dying, I was dying to say this all day. Turn to the table of contents. If you're in the church Bible, that's page this, but there's no page number. <laughs> So, it's like the third page in. And we're just going to take a look at what we find in our table of contents. We don't always look there very often. And I want us just to start there. And this makes me think of when you open up boxes of packed furniture from Ikea. Have you ever done that? You know, you go and you get some packed furniture from Ikea, and sometimes there's multiple boxes. We bought a piece of furniture not too long ago. You get all the way up to the till, and they smile at you and say, I'm sorry, there's like six more boxes you have to go and and bring back. But when you start opening up those boxes, uh, sometimes multiple ones, they contain all these pieces that are wonderfully labeled and organized, right? Because it's Ikea. It's got A's and B's and numbers and all these different things all over it. And you can't fully appreciate every individual part. It's not like you're going to pick out a shelf with a label A and be like, wow, I'm so glad I got this. This has changed my life. Um, Like many items at Ikea, right? Um, But it's when they start coming together to form a unit that you realize what an amazing thing all these pieces put together Uh, present to you. So as we open up the Bible, um, we're initially encountered, if you will, with opening up the box. 
and here's all the pieces. And this may be a little fundamental for some of us, but just to be reminded, what do we find? Two basic pieces, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. 39 books in the Old, 27 and in the New. And without even any prior exposure to the contents of these boxes, um, it doesn't take long for us to conclude that this book is not put together like other books we're familiar with, like chapter 1. And you proceed from beginning to end. It has a unique and particular structure. Remember the puzzles, the structure, the pieces, how they fit. It has a unique and particular structure. And it's essential to take that into account as we approach this book and try to sort out what is the big picture that develops as we look at the various pieces and as they emerge. So what are we going to do with all this? Well, I want us just to take a little bit closer look at the pieces and the structure, and then we're going to get into the story a little bit. So let me skip here. Sorry. Am I there? All right, we got the two main pieces. We're going to start looking at these other pieces. So if any of you are into math, you've probably already done the math, and you've said 27 plus 39 is what? 66. There's 66 of these books in total, and they're primarily written in two different languages. Again, this is just a survey. We're getting the pieces together like some of you did. You laid out all the pieces on the table. You say, what have I got here? What am I working with? I want to give you the pieces that you're working with. Two languages, the Old Testament primarily in Hebrew and the New Testament primarily in Greek, but not Greek like modern Greek. It was a special kind of Greek, Koine Greek. It was like a common street language. It's what everybody spoke in the Roman Empire. There are other languages. Some sections are in Aramaic. Others uh, have various words. So we're obviously, tonight, as I asked you to grab a copy of the Bible, you're dealing with a translation of something that was written in a language a long time ago. And these books, the 66 books, were written by about 40 different authors over a time period, easily 1,500 years, if not more, from the time of the writing of the first book, which does anyone know the oldest book of the Bible? Maybe you want to take a stab at it? A lot of people are going to say Genesis, but it's... It's not Genesis. Job, very good. Yeah, Job, anywhere from 1,500 to 1,700 years old. So there's 1,500 years or more. And they did their writing not only over hundreds of years, but over hundreds, if not thousands of miles, locations spanning from Babylon to Jerusalem to Egypt to Rome. So what are we going to do with all these pieces? Well, I just want us to take a, a little bit closer look. If you look at the Old Testament there in front of you in your table of contents, you're going to see something like this. The Old Testament, as we have it in front of us in our Bibles, is kind of broken down into three sections, three main sections that deal with history primarily, poetry, and prophecy. But the arrangement that's up here, we're going to come back to in just a little bit, is not how you would have seen it in its original Hebrew contents. It wasn't to be arranged this way. This order came actually from a Greek translation of the Bible called the Septuagint, 
uh, which don't get caught up with that. It's just a fancy Latin word that means 70, all right? Because apparently there was 70 scholars or maybe 72 who translated the scriptures from Hebrew to Greek because there was more Greek speakers in, in uh, Judaism. There was a, was called the, just a Hellenization of, of what was happening there. And so originally the contents of the Old Testament wouldn't have looked like you have them in your Bible. They would have looked more like this. You would have had the law, the prophets, and the writings. I'm sorry, whenever I hear a Torah, I think of a World War II movie, Torah, Torah, Torah. I know it's not the same word, but, but the Torah, you would have the prophets or the Nevim or the writings, the Ketuvim. So if you have a Jewish friend, I remember some saying, well, I'm, I'm going, we're going to learn about Tanakh because they would use the letters T-N-K. And so this would be the arrangement. In fact, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture later where Jesus, in a quotation, kind of alludes to this structure. And the whole reason I'm just drawing attention to structure is because it's part of us getting a grasp of how to deal with this book. How is it put together, and how does that lead us into understanding it? So let's just go back to what we have. That was just kind of like for your information. If you notice, some of the books have been condensed down. Like one, there's... First and Second Samuel, in this there's just Samuel, things like that. If you'd like to know more about that, come and see me later. But let's go back to this. Because what we have here is the Bible like we have it in front of us in the Old Testament. And we have the history as we saw it, where we have the, the law of Moses given in those first five books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So all that first column, we're dealing with like history. And what happened in, in events in history and that kind of thing. When you get to the poetry section, it's, it's not all the same. There's different styles of poetry as we go through that. In fact, the book of Job that I mentioned earlier almost reads like drama. Here's a story of this guy named Job and here's what's happening to him. So it's not all the same. Whereas you get to Proverbs and there's these pithy little statements that convey a general truth. We've been going through Psalms over the summer, and we've read that, how much they teach us to express our hearts out to God or lead us in worship to God or to lament before God. And then there was prophecy. There was the major prophets, which if you look at that right-hand side, go down to Daniel, those first five. And there was the minor prophets, the rest from Hosea down to Malachi. And it's not like those prophets got like relegated because they weren't good prophets or something like that. It was just, those ones are bigger books, the first ones, so they call them the major ones because they're big ones. And the ones that come after that are the minor ones because they're little ones. So that's the Old Testament. That's the structure we see there. We opened up our Bible. We said, oh, look, we've opened up the box. Here's the two main pieces. In this first box labeled Old Testament, there's all these books. And there was all this kind of stuff in it. Now we're going to look at the New Testament one. And the New Testament one is also, it has various parts in it. I'll bring that one up. This one we're probably, most of us, a little more familiar with. We have the Gospels, historical narratives where we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. So the Gospels were like theological biography is the best way I can put it. They were elements of biography but stitched together for a theological purpose like we went through the gospel of mark as a church if you've been here on sunday mornings 
that those events in the book of Mark didn't necessarily even happen chronologically. They're life events in the life and ministry of Jesus put together in a particular way for a particular purpose, to communicate something about Jesus and how we respond to them. Now the first four, I'm going to try something here. My screen is really small. I'm going to try my pen. Oh, it didn't work. It didn't work. No good. We're going to try this again. You guys ready? We're going to go high tech here at King's Church. Whoa. Ooh. So, sorry. I just had this flashback to when I was a kid. There was this show on when I was a kid in, in America with Bill Cosby, who I know has persona non grata now, but he would make these funny noises as he wrote on the board and read words. Sorry. Steve moment just went down memory lane there, and now i got to come back to what we're doing here. All right, so historical, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Why did I circle those three? Because if you've read them in all, you will discover, again, putting the pieces together, that a lot of the pieces in Matthew, Mark, and Luke look the same. They share a lot of the same content. And maybe you've heard them called this, the synoptic gospels. Optics, looking, and sin, like synonym. So they look the same. They're the synoptic gospels. John, a lot of his stuff is completely unique in comparison. In the book of Acts, that's another historical record of what happened in the, 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 the tale, the recording of the spread of the gospel in the church after the death of Jesus from Jerusalem through the entire Roman world. So again, you have this historical piece. But then we also have the vast majority of the number of books in this thing called epistles or letters. And these epistles or these letters um, were written to churches, to church leaders, um, or even individuals. In fact, I'm going to do this again, see how much I can get down in here, ready? So I'm going to say Paul, the Apostle Paul has written the vast majority of them from here, like that, all right? Yeah, I'm channeling my childhood there again. Sorry. Um, but the Apostle Paul wrote these epistles. They're called the Pauline epistles. Not some lady named Pauline wrote them, um, but written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote, if we can break these down even further, you can see right here from Galatians, so what does it say? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written when he was in prison. So guess what they're called? The prison epistles, nothing very creative, the, the prison <laughs> epistles. These right here I left out. Oh, man, that was horrible. Oh, there we go. Timothy and Titus were in pastoral ministry. So guess what we call those epistles? The pastoral epistles. There's nothing about sheep and shepherds and things like that. There's, yeah, the pastoral epistles. Hebrews is a bit of an anomaly. It reads more like a sermon, but it ends like a letter, so we don't know exactly who wrote that. Um, speculation, it was the Apostle Paul, but more likely probably a Jewish convert, perhaps even Apollos, if you know the book of Acts. And then this last group down here is called the general epistles, because they weren't addressed to anybody in particular. They were kind of like open letters that were just kind of to be circulated uh, to the church, because they would benefit the church at large. And then that last section there, apocalypse. Apocalypse. That's a style of literature we're not really familiar with. 
um, in our modern times. But it's, you know, uh, Mike, when he was, uh, first few months of being here, we were doing some sermons in Revelation, weren't we? And he did some great work on this of just trying to say, how would you explain like Star Wars, wasn't it? Or something like to someone who lived a couple hundred years ago. You just have no categories for these things. And Apocalypse is kind of like that. It, it's meant to use over-the-top imagery and language to communicate spiritual and cosmic realities that we just wouldn't really be able to grasp with normal language. And so the Bible, from beginning to end, we've gone through all the pieces. And have you ever opened up all the pieces, maybe like to a puzzle or to a piece of furniture, and you've got them laying out on the floor and you're like, what do I do with this? Right? Maybe you've gotten rid of the instructions, or maybe you're like me, you just disregard the instructions. I can figure this out, and I start putting things together. had a good conversation with somebody this week about the importance of following directions and all these other things. But as we consider the structure of the Bible, Old and New Testament, the various pieces, the variety of those pieces, we're now going to pivot to start thinking about, as those pieces fit together, what's the picture? That starts coming into focus. What's the story that it tells? Because the story, Old Testament, New Testament, as basic as that seems, is going to form the basis very much that corresponds to the story. So I just didn't want to overlook and say, oh, you all know Old Testament and New Testament. It's fundamental to understanding the big story of the Bible. These pictures we have considered come together to form one unified picture. Maybe. (laughs) There we go. One unified picture. Despite all the diversity of the individual parts, I just, in a very quick fashion, went through all these different pieces of the Bible. All the different components, all the different kinds of literature, all the different periods of history, all the different places, but they all coalesce together to give us one picture because there is an overarching unity to the Bible. There's an overarching unity to the Bible. That is because really, even though we have said there's 66 books in this book, it is really one book that has one main story with one main subject given by one main author. So we're going to talk first about that main author, which you can probably already deduce. We've talked about human authors But there's a dynamic we have not spoken about that, spoken of yet, and that is the fact of the divine authorship of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God breathe. It's where we get our word for inspiration. The fact that the, the words, we're going to get into the process here in just a little bit, but behind the human authors is a divine author who is breathing out through his spirit the words that we, when we open up the Bible, they're God's words through humans. That's a significant thought to digest. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, all Scripture that Paul's talking about here is all Scripture of the Old Testament. That was 
all Scripture for him. But listen to this process of how this came about. Peter, in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, says this, Above all else, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This verse is so incredibly important to grasp what we're talking about that the Bible has essentially one author. Because here we are talking about the human authors. But behind them, in this guiding hand of providence and, and leading them and shaping their thoughts while in no way taking control of their own personality, writing style. I mean, these were human beings with life experience and using all of those things, God is so sovereignly powerful that he works in such a way that what they're writing is guaranteed to be exactly what he wants written. So that their words in that moment are his words. Does that make sense? That's an amazing thought that God is, is this, this dynamic between human beings and God to give us what we have in the Bible. If you're familiar at all with Islam, you realize what a stark contrast this is to this idea of just dictation and, and, and take down and, and trance and kind of thing. There's a, a greater, more lively dynamic, if you will, at play with the, the biblical Christian idea of inspiration. And it wasn't just the Old Testament. I, remember, I said earlier, Paul had in mind the Old Testament when he said all Scripture is made in this way. But later on in 2 Peter, he says this, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So here's this idea kind of playing out. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So what's the point I'm trying to make there? Peter is referencing Paul and some of the things he's written. And he says of some of the stuff he's written, boy, it's really hard. Just like the other scriptures that he's equating and alluding to Paul's words in the same way that he would refer to the Old Testament scriptures. And so there's this connection that he's making there. So you see there's this, this, um, this idea <clears throat> that presents one big picture because there is really one author, even though there's this incredible diversity of authorship, nearly 40 authors over 1,500 years, over how many thousands of miles and cultures and times, and yet why is there this overarching unity to it? Think of us. I don't know how many are in the room tonight, but how, much, how many of us could be unified about anything over the given week? We have so much going on in our lives, yet somehow we have this book that presents this incredible, beautiful, unified picture that has really one subject. That one subject, John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. Jesus, in interacting with the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The subject, the main subject of the scriptures is Jesus Christ. Read again where in Luke Chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, on the the road to Emmaus, he's talking with the two and he says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So in a sense, and again, notice This is what I want to say. Just notice the structure there. Do you notice what he says? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That he's kind of, there's a little bit of an allusion to that original uh, structure of the Old Testament. But in all of that, what Jesus is saying is when you read the Bible and you start pulling all the pieces together, it looks like this. That ultimately the picture it presents, there's one author And there's one subject. It's Jesus. And God's plan to redeem and restore the world through him. We started talking about that a little bit this morning. We're going to get to that in just a moment about what God promises through Abraham. One author, God himself, one subject, ultimately Jesus Christ, because it is ultimately really one book with one story. Now, I didn't mention earlier... um, We are utilizing several resources as we go through this. One, some of you may be very familiar with, because I do think it was used in life groups here a few years ago. We're using it again, because it's a good resource. And it's a British resource, so it's easily accessible here in the UK. And you can, I think, even get it through um, the Good Book Company. I think it's on the Good Book Company's website. So you can find it there by Vaughn Roberts, God's Big Picture. We stole his title, but, you know, it's all right. We are using God's big picture. But this, a lot of what we're doing will follow this resource. But this resource is actually, he'll even say, based heavily on this book that was written 1981 maybe. Some of you are like, whoa, that's before I was born. Um, um, Yes, 1981. I was seven years old at 1980. I didn't have this book in 1981. But a lot of what he writes in this that will come out in some of the things we're doing here in just a minute were ba- was based on a lot of what Graham Goldsworthy wrote in this book, Gospel and Kingdom. So this is God's big picture, Gospel and Kingdom. Another one I'm going to reference in some later things is one by a man named Eldon Ladd, his gospel, The Gospel of the Kingdom. So we'll delve into this a little bit as we go through as, as well. Um, But it's really one book. And this is where that whole Old Testament, New Testament thing starts coming into focus. Because there is a pattern as we go from the old to the new. That we are looking at this pattern of promise and fulfillment. Excuse me while I catch up with my notes here. Of promise and fulfillment. That really, when we start looking at what happens in the Old Testament, we see God making promises that come to fulfillment as we move to the new in Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Uh, again, verses we read these earlier. But remember, he says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then he says this, He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, 
and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is what was written, he said. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus, even in saying of his own life, remember the main subject is Jesus. And there's this pattern of promise to fulfillment and the fulfillment is focused in Jesus. And he is saying that all of these things find their fulfillment in him. In Acts chapter 13, as the Apostle Paul was preaching in a place called Pisidian Antioch, he basically, in his message, started preaching about, really, the history of Israel in the Old Testament. And he came to this conclusion when he came to Jesus. And what happened with Jesus in the cross and the resurrection? He says, we tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. So all the old testament promises he says what god promised our ancestors he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up jesus so again i'll go back just quickly there is this flow that we see in that verse right there what god promised in the old he brings to fulfillment in the new and that's the paradigm that we need to see. That's the, the model, if you will, that we need to be working with. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I want to read to you just a segment from this resource right here, from Graham Goldsworthy. It speaks to this idea of fulfillment. The New Testament witnesses to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the one whom and through whom all the promises of God find their fulfillment. These promises are only to be understood from the Old Testament. You need the old. <laughs> the fulfillment of the promises can be understood only in the context of the promises themselves. The New Testament writers cannot separate the person and work of Christ nor the life of the Christian community from this sacred history which has its beginnings in the Old Testament. We're here as a fulfillment of God's promises as we talked about this morning with Abraham centuries ago. God's promises coming to fulfillment through his son. We're here worshiping as a result of that. So let's come back to this question of what do we do with all these pieces? Now I put those two things up there. Um, the little cards on the left, some of you may recognize. When I was a boy in my home, my mother had one of these. Did you ever see one of these? Maybe it's an American thing, fortunately. <laughs> this was an Our Daily Bread Box. Oh, it's so, it's so wonderful. And you pull out a card, and on that card was a verse. And it was just kind of like, okay, it said something, you know, and it's kind of like, I, I, I joked, like, when you look at all these pieces, it's kind of like you just take them out there and lay them on the, on the table. And if you have no point of reference for it, how does it fit in? So what do we do with all these pieces? Whenever I came to the bread box, I always felt like I was playing the lottery. You know, come on, I need a good one today. You know, I really need a good one. You're just like, oh, you know. And there'll be weeping and gnashing. Oh, come on, you know. And you just... And so we can, um, 
We can play the, play the lottery. We can treat the Bible that way where we kind of um, take its various pieces and we don't really think of them in um, connection with one another. Not considered in light of the whole. Or you can treat it like a search engine. Anybody treat the Bible that way? You know, my kids love to say, Alexa, and ask a question. You know, it's like we can be like, Bible. And then we ask a question and, and treat it like this static block of information, not appreciating that there's actually a story that's been developing over it. A beautiful story. And so it's not something that we can just go to as like a raw block of data and say, well, what does God say about this? That's not necessarily a helpful approach because it doesn't necessarily take into account, well, what God's saying here can have a whole different perspective and fulfillment if we carry the story all the way through to the New Testament in Jesus. And so it's a dangerous approach. The lottery approach, not wise. The, uh, the search engine approach, not wise. Or we can just compartmentalize it. We can really like one book of the Bible and just stay there and not see it in light of the whole because really we need to see it as one book. The best way I can illustrate that, I have a stack of books here, and this one is my son's. I asked him if I could borrow it. But this is actually The Lord of the Rings in one volume. When I read this when I was a boy, it was actually, this was three books. But in reality, if you open up the table of contents, again, there we go to the table of contents, you have The Fellowship of the Ring, book one, book two, to two towers, book three. Book four, book five. What's the point of these? The point I'm trying to make is that really, even though many of you probably never read the book, but maybe saw the movies or something like that, you maybe went to one movie or another, but the idea is really it's one whole story that runs the whole way through. You just can't pick it up at any one point and get the whole picture. You can do that with other books. You can do that with other even you know, sets, but you can't really do that with this. We need to get the big picture of this one book and see the story that develops. So we're going to take an overview of the Bible using um, a template. Um, and that template is going to be the kingdom of God. The template of the kingdom of God. We need a template that doesn't force the pieces together. Have you ever tried to do that with a puzzle? Right? You're trying to finish the puzzle and you're like mashing the pieces together because you want them to fit. We don't want to do that. Did we lose our, uh, we, I, just, I just totally lost our thing there, sorry. Okay. Thank you. Oh, that's power. We should be fine. Isn't technology great how it enhances conversations? And, oh. Hey. Maybe? Nope. <laughs> We're just going to skip it, and you guys can listen. And hopefully you can listen well. We're going to think of the, God, the kingdom of God, and this is a simple definition of the kingdom of God, of God's people in God's place <clears throat> under God's rule and blessing. That is a definition that Vaughn Roberts uses in God's Big Picture. It's a definition he borrowed from Graham Goldsworthy, in uh, gospel and kingdom. It's a simple definition. Um, it's not the only template we can use to approach the scripture, but I think it's one that will be 
useful for us and helpful and memorable to get a grasp on the big picture, the big story of the Bible so that we can work with its parts and navigate it. So my goal, hopefully, is to give you a map <laughs> so that when you come to the Bible, by the time we get through this Bible overview, you're not going to be an expert in the Bible, but hopefully the next time you go to read it, you can say, wait a minute, I think I'm here in the story. I think I'm here, and this helps me understand how, what I should be doing with this. And as you get to understand it more, that hopefully you get to know the God who's written it more and love him more and want to serve him. Without the map, we're lost. And so God's people in God's place under God's rule and his blessing. Let's read another quick quote for you. It says, we first see the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden. I was thinking of Mike's message this morning as I was going over this because he talked about, you know, the first few chapters of, of Genesis as we're talking about Abraham. And he, he talked about this. Here, Adam and Eve live in willing obedience to the word of God and God's rule. And in this setting, the kingdom is destroyed by the sin of man. And the rest of the Bible, remember he talked about dividing it into two halves? The rest of the Bible is about the restoration of a people to be the willing subjects of the perfect rule of God. And so this idea of the kingdom, we saw there in Eden, the pattern of the kingdom. And then with the coming of Adam and Eve and their sin, we see that kingdom perish. And then as we go forward, we're going to see through Abraham, there's this promised restoration, this promised kingdom. And that comes partially through some human kings and human kingdoms on earth. And then we're going to see that there's a prophesied kingdom that comes through the prophets as we move from Old Testament to New. That after this partial kingdom, which included all these earthly kings of David and Solomon and all these other ones, and there's a whole history we're going to go through there that goes really pear-shaped, <laughs> goes really bad. And then God sends these prophets to speak into that and prophesize that there's a greater expression of his kingdom yet to come. And then there's silence for 400 years. And then the kingdom comes near, like we talked about in Mark. Remember Jesus' words? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This idea of the kingdom moving all the promises coming to fulfillment in Jesus. We live in an age of the gospel being proclaimed. <laughs> the kingdom being proclaimed through the gospel. And we're looking forward to a day when God says this kingdom will be perfected. One day the kingdom of God will come on earth. It'll be the world we all long for. <laughs> the world we're all, we're all waiting for. It will be the kingdom pattern restored and perfected. And so that's a brief overview of where we're going. <laughs> and we did it kind of quickly tonight. But what I want us to take from that is as we move over into these, these next few um, 10 weeks, is that next week you have a sense of where we're going to be going as we think about what is this kingdom of God that we discover as we move through the scriptures, that pattern that God established in that first book of Genesis. Um, on your handouts, there were a couple of questions, and all those things were intended to do was just to get you thinking, to write some things down, and there are some thoughts for reflection. You don't have to do those now, but 
if you want to sit around and chat with some people around your table about some of these things, because the whole idea of this was not for you to get a whole bunch of information without the thought of the God who's behind it. We say as a church, we invite all people into a never-growing relationship with this King Jesus, King over a kingdom. And so maybe there's some questions there you could process through with some mates or some people around your table. But what we want to do now, uh, I'm going to pray, and Dave is going to lead us in one more song, and we're going to finish our time together. So let's just pray. Father in heaven, uh, we once again thank you that you are a God who speaks. The God who created all things and holds all things together um, chose to reveal himself through an amazing book. We've gotten some sense of its pieces and its structure and a taste of its story tonight. Lord, I hope that that is... um, an enticement to go further for us, to get to know this God and how he's revealed himself in history and for us to think that we come to the the message of the Bible not from our own sense of identity as as a point of reference, but to realize there's a kingdom, there's a king There's a big picture working itself out. So much bigger than us. So much bigger than our dreams or our aspirations. So much bigger even than our problems. The Bible is not a resource book and a self-help book for for us to come to have the life we want. But it's a book through whom we meet a king. And we get to know about his kingdom. And we're graciously invited to join it through faith. So help us open our eyes now to see your majesty, to see your glory, and to appreciate all that you've done for us in giving us this book. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand, let's sing uh, about King Jesus. Majesty, worship is majesty unto Jesus, be glory, honor, and Majesty, kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own, his apparatus. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus magnify come glorify Christ Jesus the King 
majesty worship his majesty Jesus who died now glorified King of all kings majesty Worship His majesty Unto Jesus Be glory, honor and praise Majesty Kingdom of authority Flows from his throne unto his own, his anthem raised. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify. Christ Jesus the King Majesty Worship His Majesty Jesus who died Now glorified King of all kings Please be seated. And just as we finish uh, tonight, uh, one word of notice for you that this Tuesday, if you are a member, just be reminded, we have a members meeting at 745. You should have received an email for that on how to vote. If you've not, or if there's confusion on how to vote or anything else around that as we are um, going to be voting on two elders, Um, You can see Ben Archer in the back who can help you out with that. Um, Otherwise, if you can at all make it, please do make plans to be here for the members meeting this Tuesday, 745, uh, here in this room. That finishes our time for tonight. Look forward to having you all back next, next time if you are able as we look at that first movement of the kingdom pattern as we start working our way through this Bible overview of God's big picture. It's been great to have you tonight. If you have any questions or would like to talk about something, um, we'd love to see you afterwards. And that wraps us up for tonight. Thanks for coming.